Hey y'all, it's me, Queen J, back with the first episode of 2024. I know, I know, I've been gone for a while. I just, I needed to get some things in order, had some things that I was cooking, and they had to come to fruition first <laughs> for y'all to have them. So this episode, as y'all know, before we even get started into the topic, um, we always start with a bit of my feelings. That's not changing, but we do have a very special guest on today's episode. Um, one of my recent co-workers and good friends, Roz, is joining us today. And we are going to touch on a couple of different things. Kind of going to shift gears a little bit. I haven't spoken too much about um, those, or my friends. I, was say, I don't know why I was going to say those. Um, about my friends um, within the LGBTQ community, but we are gonna touch on that a little bit today. And we're gonna touch on some, maybe a, a, a mental health disorder or disability that you, you wouldn't have thought about. So Roz, you wanna take it away? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited about this. It's my first time doing a podcast. Oh my gosh, we love a newbie. <laughs> yeah, but it's first time. So yeah, I was invited on this podcast to talk about my experience with disabilities. In particular, one condition I have is called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And that's PMDD for short. And that's how I'll refer to it throughout the rest of the podcast. Um, but it's a condition that most people probably haven't heard of. Um, and a lot of times people when they hear the word menstruation, they, you know, immediately don't really want to keep listening. So I encourage people <laughs> to not be scared off by that. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm really excited to talk about it, um, as well as experiencing it from a trans lens, which is a unique perspective in having PMDD too. Um, yeah. All right. So that's the topic. I just wanted to put that out there. We're doing it a little different, but now we're going to do a little bit of mindfulness, y'all. I just Thank y'all for bearing with us. <laughs> All right. So now it is now time for us to pause, breathe, and relax. It is now time for us to open our mind to exploring new ways of healing and navigating around different obstacles within this lifetime. It is now time that we allow ourselves to be in a space without judgment and open our minds to be receptive to new perspectives and maybe new experiences that we probably haven't considered. It is now time that we are mindful with ourselves and we grant ourselves grace and patience as we learn new ways of navigating around healing and the obstacles that we face. All right, y'all. I hope that that gave y'all some peace. I hope that that, that, that centered you guys, because it centered me. It always does. But, okay, how would you like to start? Do you want to start by talking about when you first um, kind of were maybe diagnosed with PMDD, Ross? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good place to start. Okay. Um, so I first realized that I had PMDD when I was in college. So that was um, 
between 2017 and uh, 2022. And mm -hmm. the way that I found out that I had it or first started considering that I might be dealing with this is actually because my mom. Um, she and I are pretty close. We talk pretty frequently um, when I was at college. Mm -hmm. And she noticed a change in my behavior and just persona in general um, and noticed that every time around um, before my period would come, I was going through extreme mental and emotional difficulties um, and stress mm -hmm. and pain. And she, you know, took it upon herself to do research. And I really appreciate that she did that for me. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of it's almost skipping to the end of the story here, but that's kind of what <laughs> I hope that people take away from this podcast mm. is you know that uh, we shouldn't we should not only normalize talking about these things, but we should be enthusiastic and yes. you know want to be there for people in this you know, and it shouldn't just be a you know a mother and a child. Of she course, be our friends and family, but yeah, that's skip that's skipping to the end. So no, that's she, okay. No, there's yeah. listen. This is just a conversation, so there's no skipping to the end. Just tell it, tell your experience. That's all. <laughs> so yeah, she um, let me know that she had researched this condition she found online called PMDD, and mm -hmm. upon looking up the stuff myself, I realized wow, literally every Thing this is mentioning I'm dealing with um, mm. on a cyclical basis you know obviously periods are they're coming and going and coming again so this wasn't just a one-off situation but it was consistently affecting me yeah um, in all different aspects of life honestly so um, after kind of figuring this out we eventually tried to um, you know, talk to different doctors, try to find a specialist. Um, there are very few specialists for this condition available in the state, um, mm. even fewer in other states as well. Um, it might have increased in the last couple of years, but yeah, uh, basically it's not a very, you know, well understood or well-known condition. Um, it just was only added to the DSM-5, I think, in 2008. So oh, wow. very new. Yeah, very new. And of course, it's automatically associated with women so that means that it gets taken mm -hmm. more seriously uh, unfortunately that's yeah <laughs> that's something i definitely want to touch on more later is the sexism oh, yeah. and just misogyny involved in all of this of um, course i do have a question but, yeah, yeah. Real, sorry not to interrupt you um no no you're good so when you're talking about pmdd and like the symptoms that were um that you were experiencing can you go a little bit deeper and, and mention some of them maybe not all yeah. of them just a few yeah um would it help if i provide a short definition of the condition perfect that would be awesome okay it's a little wordy so uh, <laughs> that's me. okay it is defined as a cyclical hormone-based mood disorder mm. and it has symptoms that start during the premenstrual phase of the menstrual cycle and it ends a few days after menstruation starts. So that's kind of the timeline we're looking at that with. Um, that can okay. range between, you know, a week or two weeks before your period starts. Um, Got it. Yeah. So, so that just to clarify y'all this. Right. So just to clarify y'all, one sec, just want to clarify. It's not, this is not a saying like, 
this is PMS times a thousand. If that if that helps you relate to what we're talking about, then perfect. But that's not what we're referring to. We're referring to something that has actually been like in the uh, what is it? Oh my god, the DSM. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> so. If you guys want to get a little bit more information about it, of course, always, you know, you can always do your research. But yeah, that is what we are talking about. And I feel like I at least for me, what stands out for me is that it's a mood disorder also. So that immediately makes me think, oh, my God, it could be PMS, but it's just a different name for it. But when I was talking with Roz and she was, you know, elaborating on the differences it, it really helped me so i hope that this gets you guys some some information that you can glean from as well uh, go ahead sorry i just wanted to say that <laughs> no that was definitely good to point out um so the symptoms a lot of them do overlap with pms symptoms and i'm glad that you mentioned that they're different because that really is important to, yes. to say the main one of the main differences when we talk about these symptoms is that for pmdd the symptoms become life disrupting or they're so severe that they are Mm -hmm. actually preventing you from being able to function the way that you're expected to. Whereas PMS, they wouldn't be as severe or for as long of a time potentially. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's the, that's like kind of the, you know, official difference. Like there's no line in the sand where we can, you know, officially say one or the other, but that is the, the difference as of, as of now. And those can be fit both physical and emotional mental symptoms, which is okay. why PM, yeah, PMDD is kind of hard for them to categorize because of the these very, very different but very present issues. And mm. you have to have at least five of these symptoms to be considered as having PMDD, and one of them has to be an emotional symptom. A short list of those include um, physical pain, whether in your muscles or joints, uh, specifically in your breasts, Um, Mm -hmm. appetite changes and sleep problems, bloating. And then on the emotional side, you have things like mood swings, um, feeling, you know, upset or tearful all of a sudden, having anger, irritation, extreme anxiety, Uh, really big ones associated with PMDD as well are hopelessness. Um, that's oh. one that people constantly talk about is this feeling and sense of hopelessness. Um, and then um, just in general, a lack of energy, a lack of interest, um, a lack of interest in activity you normally enjoy. And then a uh, trigger warning. I wanted to put a trigger warning in, in here. That's fine. That- you can just say trigger warning and then um, you can just say trigger warning here and we can say like, you can take care of yourself. You know, it's totally fine. However you want to okay. say it. Okay, yeah. Um, so we've got a trigger warning here um, with mention of suicide, and that is going to be throughout the rest of this podcast, I would say, intermittently. Uh-huh. So if that's something that um, anyone's not comfortable with, definitely, you know, take care of yourself. Don't force yourself to listen to something that makes you feel uncomfortable in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Come back to us if you need to. It's totally fine. Like mm-hmm. I said, take care of yourself first. Your health matters. You matter. Take care of you first. If you need to pause it, I'll be here when you get back. It's okay. <laughs> like, it is a-okay. No rush on this. Um, but I'm glad that you touched on that because I was going to ask, you know, you mentioned with with helplessness or, or hopelessness, and that that instantly made me think, like, well, well, what 
I guess I, as, as we've been talking about this, I'm wondering, um, not for like any like quick fixes or anything, but like, has there been something that has given you a sense of stability since it, it I would imagine that having this causes you to feel that you, 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 you wouldn't have that stability. Am I, am I correct? Oh yeah. It's completely you know, it it was life wrecking, honestly, to have to try and adjust to all of these physical and emotional changes that also no one else can see is happening. Yeah. Um, so it's also it was very isolating. And mm-hmm. um I think um to answer your question, yes and no. You know, some people mm-hmm. there's a variety of different um treatments, not cures yeah. or anything, treatments that are used for PMDD. However, okay. there's no specific PMDD medication developed or anything like that or really researched into yet um in terms of like prescription medication some people have found relief from ssris and um, some people have found relief from birth control oh wow but then on the flip side there are just as many people who try that and it actually makes them way worse uh so it's it's a very you know it's a and i'm sure other people with other mental can you know mental conditions can relate to this that having to try these different solutions and they can even potentially make you worse it can just add to the fear of, of it ding, all ding. <laughs> i was gonna say yeah. ding 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 yeah I, I know all too well about that having to you know try different methods to make sure that it, it's it's almost i used to always call it like like when i when i had to take um certain medications when I was when I was younger you know as part of like my childhood or whatever and I was taking um like Vyvanse and other things like that I used to always feel like I was a computer like I didn't feel human because mm-hmm. it was doing the it was doing the opposite because I didn't have ADHD and I've talked about this on the podcast before I actually had PTSD but their symptoms overlap so similarly in children that it often gets classified as oh that kid has ADHD you know, but it's not the case. So I would imagine like when those things overlap with, you know, with PM and PM, sorry, PMDD, <laughs> like I would imagine like, it's almost like having to balance yourself back out, but you don't know until you kind of go through a trial and error. Um, did, you, did you have a trial and error experience or did you just find something that like, have you found that? That's worked I think for you. I'm still I think I'm still in the trial and error experience. Okay. You know, I, and I for those who were able to find, you know, something that really helped their PMDD, mm-hmm. I'm happy for them, but for me it's really like I had to downsize my life so much. Um, that was mm-hmm. probably one of the hardest things is that just I don't have that mental capacity anymore that I used to to be able to handle um having a huge social life and a bit in a really big social Uh circle and I really love I really loved doing that and I'm still love my friends now but it's definitely a different lifestyle and I think that's the biggest thing is lifestyle change Um, Uh having to make certain sacrifices um you know like I don't you know I try not to drink alcohol uh, close before my period because I know that that makes it way worse um, I would imagine so you yeah know, it's, a, it's a depressant <laughs> yeah it, it'll put you up for a little bit but then that crash is probably super oh my goodness I I'm just I'm kind of in shock or not shock but like I'm kind of in awe because I don't know a lot about this um, disorder 
and one that's specifically focused on um, mood disorders and all the different classifications of like like bipolar and all those other things like that. And I'm not saying that that's in the same category. I'm just saying like I have that background. So for me to hear this one, it's like fascinating because I have a passion for learning how the mind works and how the body reacts to the mind. So that is you shifted your lifestyle and your social aspect and everything. Did you feel it in immediately or was it like something that was gradual and you're still like adjusting to right now? Um, I think that I've gotten out of the stage of downsizing and I've been slowly like, you know, expanding out and trying to like exercise my social muscles, if you will. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I love that. <laughs> It's about finding, I, th I think it's about finding community that will accept you, um, mm. you know, as much as people would like to say that they are, you know, pro mental health, and I'm sure that they consider themselves to be, when it mm -hmm. comes down to, are we practicing this in real life, I think that there's some missing links there happening in a lot of circumstances I've been in. Um, you know, we're not given the tools as yeah. like, children, or even as, you know, young 20s to handle mm -hmm. these things even as adults we're not given the tools like any age yeah um so it's I try to like I try to put myself in in other people's shoes of like you know how would I support or how would I show up if friend was going through this um and I think I found that I found people who are basically you know they accept how I am they know that this is something I deal with and they're they let me be open about it that's a huge thing too is you know, yeah. losing the shame, um, just being able to text Ooh. someone and saying, you know, I'm, you know, I'm having, I'm in PMDD right now, so I can't really talk and not having to go any further is mm -hmm. amazing. It takes so much of the stress out. I would imagine so. So, so by you saying that you're, you're suggesting or you're implying that you've had uh, circumstances where someone wasn't receptive to what you were saying, I'm sorry for that. That's not fair because you know, I know that there are certain people like like you said, I think when it when we talk about it from that lens, I think there's a level of boundaries that need to be taken into consideration where you're talking about, hey, I'm not up for socializing because I'm in PMDD right now. It should never be a question of, oh, like, you know what I mean? It should never mm -hmm. be a it should never be a, a question of validity of your situation, if that makes sense. Definitely. I 100% like, agree. Yeah. So like, I just wanted to say, like, I'm sorry that you experienced that because, hey, I've experienced that too. Unless someone is like right in front of me and I'm having a panic attack. And I thankfully, I don't have them often anymore. But when I would talk about them, you know, people seem to think like, if you're not exhibiting those expectations or the, um, the expected response of a panic attack or of, of something that is of a mental disorder, that person is more than likely going to be like, mm, you're just, you're just, you always talk about it, but I've never seen you have one. You know what I mean? It's almost mm -hmm. like, well, if you don't have it, if you don't have it in front of me, I am not going to believe it because I need to see it to believe it. And that's so harmful. I just want to talk about that for a second because like that is extremely harmful in the community where I consider my PTSD um, diagnosis to be a, a disorder 
in mm-hmm. in some way and and a disability for me in some way like some days i can't stop having flashbacks and i'm like i can't get any work done because i am like really reliving something right now you know i'm like yeah. right back there and that 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 may not be true for everyone but it is true for me and when someone questions the validity of that experience that's where it's like mm, now i got to put you at arms like <laughs> yep yep that's not fair to me and then that goes back to the shame thing because now you're indirectly putting the shame on me and saying well i haven't seen it so i want you to be embarrassed by this you know what i mean because i haven't seen you react in the way that I want you to or react in the way that I associate PTSD with or PMDD with, then I'm choosing to believe that you don't have it. And then that inadvertently, if you have these different mental disorders, you know, it puts it back on your shoulders where you're like, well, now I'm embarrassed that I even told you because uh, you don't believe me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm now invalidated. So it's a cycle, guys. It is a cycle. It is a journey. It is not linear. And that is why I wanted um, Roz to come on and talk about this because we're really getting into the ebbs and flows of what it's like where your emotions are in flux. And what I mean by that is like they're not in a constant straight line. And that's how emotions are. They're supposed to move, but they're moving kind of backwards. Um, when we first started talking about this topic, um, Roz and I, I believe if you want to touch on this, Roz, I believe if I remember correctly, you said it, it, it's almost like the backwards effect of, yeah, um, yeah. of emotions, almost experiencing like the backwards, uh, the opposite effect of that. Like, 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 let's say if you're supposed to be extremely in euphoria, you're extremely, um, hopeless instead. Is that something, was I right on that? Yep. You were right. Okay. Um, okay. So the the context to that statement is that um, we produce different hormones during different mm-hmm. parts of our cycle. Yes. So there's one um, type of hormone called allopregnolone. Allo, allo. For short. Okay, allo for short. We're gonna give her allo. Yep. <laughs> allo is <Yep>. her name. <laughs> um, and usually when you're like in the you know luteal phase or the pre-menstrual phase during your Mm -hmm. cycle and you're producing more aloe most people have a calming effect um, Mm -hmm. a euphoric effect if you will from that but with people who have pmdd it has an abnormal opposite effect causing agitation anxiety and negative mood changes Ah. So that is the current understanding of PMDD in, okay. in those type of terms. And it's still very much like, you know, in a, a, a condition under construction. We don't have a lot of understanding because of there's course, such little yeah. research. Um, so that could very well, you know, this understanding could change over the next few years. But that's currently okay. um where it stands is that it's a sensitivity to the to these hormone yes. changes not that you're producing like the wrong amount of hormones yeah yeah it's a sensitivity i i do love that that's why i said they're in flux like it's not mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't want it to be like well oh my hormones are producing backwards no 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 <laughs> not 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 that quite not that simple <laughs> but i really wanted to touch on that because i feel like that I would imagine that that plays a, a significant role in the way that you, A, 
communicate like, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. And and B, probably have a grasp on it yourself. You know, I would imagine like that would have been very um, grounding or to some degree providing some level of comfort and understanding like, oh, okay, this is why I'm not in a state of euphoria or this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It would, yeah. It I'm would glad, give you clarity. I'm glad you you said that or you're bringing this up because I mean learning that I had PMDD of course it sucks like it sucks to have you yeah know, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it but it was so <laughs> relieving it was so relieving because for all this time that I was experiencing these symptoms um, uh -huh. going through this alone I just thought that that's how everybody's period was yeah, I was I was living under this assumption that, oh, it's just me not being able to be strong enough to get through this or to deal mm -hmm. with this or, you know, there's something intrinsically wrong with me as a person. Yeah. Was, you know how it felt. But then when I learned that, oh, this is an actual medical condition, you know, mm -hmm. not that pain should have to be validated by a medical condition, but just contextually knowing mm -hmm. that all of these things happening was not just my fault or anything. Yeah, of course. Um, it was, it's absolutely, um, it was definitely life-saving to, to learn I about that. that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, okay. We're not shifting gears. We're just expanding our perspective. So how does that, how does this experience, um, play a role from the trans lens? How, how does that, um, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> no, I think yeah, I think that question was good. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when I first um, like found out I had PMDD, I um, wasn't really identifying as trans. Um, okay. Or really, gender has always been for me just something like, well, I have all these other things you know I need to deal with, so I just need to deal with this later. Um, yeah. And and actually, ironically, with all of you know. The, the stuff that the ways that PMDD affected my life and I yeah. had to slow down so much it actually forced me an opportunity to actually think about my gender and you know who I am and what I identify with and all of that good stuff so I love I that say, I do yeah. love that that it gave you <laughs> it gave you that moment to just sit in that pocket and just kind of you know because mm -hmm. we push that off sometimes or at least I I, I know I do sometimes I, I push off like I would say like I, I fit more in like the queer non-binary type of category some days like like you know I told you I flow in and out so I mm -hmm. totally get what you mean where it's like I'd rather not think about this right now but I'm gonna come back to it eventually mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to at some point but maybe not right now <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um so yeah, so once I started, um, you know, just I guess like being honest with myself about being trans and, mm -hmm. um, you know, being interested in, you know, I guess like things associated with transitioning, um, mm -hmm. specifically like, you know, binding my chest or, um, mm -hmm. you know, just feeling a certain way, it absolutely um, having PMDD is definitely an added struggle into all of that. Mm -hmm. um, you can kind of think in obvious terms, like having to, for a lot of like trans people, um, periods can be very like triggering for dysphoria. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard for me to even know if I do because of 
just I can't even really focus on that when I'm focusing on this my you know my disabilities during that time so it's not really something I've been able to think of for myself but you know of course when you have a menstrual related condition and you're transgender um, you know transitioning more to a masculine's um, identity that can definitely Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like you can never really forget about this Um, you actually have to think a lot about it and make sure that you're planning ahead and you have to talk like you know I have to be that trans mask person who talks about periods all the time which I love about myself now but I definitely recognize that there's some irony in that yeah Um, there is some irony but I think that is beautiful irony though because what you're saying is hey I'm I am in this state of my body of my being where I'm well (laughs) to make it super simple and plain it's almost like, or at least this is how I'm I'm taking it. I hope this isn't offensive to you in any way. Um, what I'm thinking of is like someone being in a state of like, okay, I have to do this in order to get to to like I'm in I'm in square A right now and I need to take these steps in order to get to square B. But in square A, I've got all these other things to think about. And it's it's kind of not not preventing me from getting to square B, but it's it's heavier for me to get to square B because now I have to take that into consideration. I have to think about, mm-hmm. well, how is PMDD going to affect or is it going to just like, because you like we just agreed that it was a hormone um, disorder, correct? A hormone it's a hormone, re- disorder? a hormone. It's a hormone related disorder, but not a uh. hormone imbalance. Okay, not a hormone imbalance. Okay, and this is what I meant. It's hard to classify. I think it might be it might be categorized as an endocrine disorder. Oh, okay, okay. Look at it from that lens. It's almost like you know, as you're transitioning, you're you said you're the trans mask who has to talk about periods. You're happy about that now, but when you fully transition, do you feel like that's still going to be something that you're going to be talking about? to educate others or do you feel like you know how, how do you feel like you're gonna um, navigate that yeah I mean that's a good question I think that it could be better answered by somebody who is like who's maybe a like a binary trans man because I know for me I don't know what fully transitioning means or looks like um, you know and for everyone that looks differently I, I think I think I can say regardless of like where my identity goes I don't think that I'm going to stop talking about this just because you know it's a huge issue that most people it pretty much forces a choice where I have to decide between you know making sure that my disability doesn't get even more unmanageable or you know even considering the option of that like I don't even really let myself go there thinking about it or you know knowing like or, or trying to figure out, like, is this something I would want if I, you know, didn't have limited choices because mm-hmm. I'm just like, it's too, it's just too painful. I don't want to bring that on myself knowing that I'm still kind of stuck in this position. And, um, and I think that lots of disabilities can impact the trans experience like that. I know another condition I have causes a lot of chronic pain and a lot of, like, you know, doesn't, not handling, like, big, um, 
physical events well, like a surgery. So that also um, is limiting in terms of, you know, if I ever wanted to explore top surgery, that's kind of another, you know, hard decision to make. And I think that that, at least in the trans representation that I see a lot, is, an ex it is not an experience that gets talked about a lot. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to, for whatever reason, if somebody's, you know, whether they don't want to do certain like transitioning things or they aren't able to, it's why it's really important not to have like a, like have certain qualifications to like, you have to do this to be trans or you have to want this. And that's, you know, this is oh. one of the many reasons why that is not, you know, an acceptable attitude to be having. Oh, okay. So can you help me? Um, understand that a little bit more because you're saying you you don't want to have these certain um like you you don't go into it having the stipulations of like there's certain requirements to be trans so i i i am not trans so i'm asking um because that's interesting to me how, how is that um i guess from speaking because uh, keep in mind i haven't touched on this with anyone as of yet, um, I do have friends that are within the trans community, you know, but I just haven't had mm -hmm. them. They, we haven't had the chance to have them on yet. So I'm curious if you could enlighten me and the audience a little bit more about that, because I don't think any of, as far as um, any anyone that I have talked with has ever framed it in that way. Um, I do have a friend who is um, trans and she i've only talked with her more so about the hormone process and more so about them transitioning from um man and into a woman so that was you know that's a different spectrum so that's why i'm mm. like okay i'm a little i just want a little clarity there if i can if that's okay i i just yeah I absolutely know. okay i think that's an awesome <laughs> question yeah um and it's it's a big part of i'll start like this mm -hmm. um, the trans community just like any community doesn't always agree on everything that and, is true. <laughs> you know there's there's also like in many communities an internal hierarchy whether it's mm -hmm. recognized or not out loud oh um, and there are you know just in the same way as you know there's racism in the community there is you know mm. sexism in the community all of those things exist whether we like speak about them or not mm -hmm. uh, the same the same can be said for a particular you know trans trans related topic i guess you could say you know does there's a lot of questions like you know does someone have to want to medically transition to be a trans person that's a question that a lot of people have asked and people have um, passionate opinions on wow um, and it's common it's like for the people who believe that you have to want to medically transition uh -huh. in some certain degree usually fall under a, an umbrella called trans medicalists oh um, so that that's kind there's kind of a, a term for that belief and my personal opinion is that that's a very harmful belief to have and to push on to other trans people yeah um you know because there, like i said there are so many reasons why someone either doesn't want to or simply doesn't have the means to transition in certain ways and but it's i just think how, oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead oh you're good 
Um, I was going to say, and I think that part of the beauty of transness is mm-hmm. that we aren't imposing these limits and these, you know, expectations or these, um, you know, lines that you mm-hmm. have to be on this side to be one of us type of thing. Um, I think that that's something that benefits everyone when we want to bring more people in rather than kick people out uh-huh um, of our, of our community yeah, yeah 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 i like I think that it, i do like that and i think that when people for those for people who do think that you have to meet a certain bar to be considered mm-hmm. trans i think that um that's just an unfortunate projection of their own insecurity mm. you know in their gender identity and their gender expression and all of that that they're you know they they see somebody who is you know maybe content in whatever you know they've chosen to do with their transition and you know it's hard to see somebody feel that way when you don't feel that way i think that that's a compassionate way to read those people okay Um, even though i I disagree with them (laughs) you know on that opinion i still can you know want to understand what leads them to that yeah of course we can talk about it you know Yeah, no, I love that. And thank you for providing the insight on that, because honestly, I, I wasn't aware that there were so many, like, I want to say like subsets or subcategories of this wide community, you know, that that is definitely something that I'm learning more and more about as more and more as I talk with my friends who are trans, because you know, they shed light on like, well, it's actually not as straightforward as that. And I I wasn't aware. I I knew I knew one thing to be true. And this is when I had the conversation with my friend. Um, we were in college and we were talking about it. And I was like, Yes, girl, like I'm proud of you, like happy for you, you know what I mean? Like and I mm-hmm. feel like what it is, is it's more of a confirmation of your sense of self. It's just you standing in your being and saying, I feel comfortable in my skin now, you know, and, and comfortable mm-hmm. in your body, whatever that may look like. And so that's why I was like, when you when you talked about that, I didn't realize that it wasn't that every every trans person didn't have that that way of thinking, you know, because it's it's I think it's ingrained, especially in a cis um, cis-gendered people, it, it's ingrained in us that, oh, when someone identifies as that, then that must mean that they are they are going to make that change, or they, they, they are willing to, without even taking into consideration what they may have to go through to do that. Mm-hmm. We just instinctively think, like, it's almost like when someone says that they want to be a mother, like, the first thing is like, oh, well, well for the people that are not... <laughs> For the people that are close-minded, they're like, oh, well, you're going to have that baby on your own. You're not going to adopt. They don't think, you know what I mean? Like, it's not Mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to people's minds. And I want to just thank you for giving that insight again, because that really is important. Because there can be someone that's listening or that will be listening that is, you know, falling in these lines. And they're like, well, I feel like I am because I want this, but I don't want this. And, you know, there's so many different ways to identify as who you are that nobody should ever be able to say you're not who you are. And that's just how I feel based off of my personal experience in my life and based off of what I see 
in the judgment towards others and the projections towards others, especially whether that's cis or cis or trans or gender fluid or non-binary, whatever category or whatever. Um, like I don't, I don't like labels, so that's why I chose queer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But whatever um, name you fall under, because I don't want to say category, because it's not like everyone's fitting under a box, but whatever place you call home in your identity that's that's just how you identify and i don't i don't see anything wrong with that i just i'm here to learn that's it (laughs) i love that you i really love that i think you put that really well i was connected to a lot of the things you were just saying thank you and i think that and i think that it can even actually connect to like connect all the way back to the PMDD experience yeah of course um, just because I know for me you Mm -hmm. know you think about in general the societal attitude towards menstruation is you know very much not to take it seriously you know to not at all (laughs) and well yeah yeah and especially when we think about people who do this we often think about cis men but I think that we also have to like we also have to like think about the other aspects of that you know what about the people who menstruate who don't have pmdd it can Mm -hmm. be very it can be very hard to explain that you know my menstruation and theirs look look and affect us so differently especially when a huge part of like the feminist movement has been to say you know like periods don't affect us they you know oh which is true for a lot of people you know and it, yeah it absolutely push back against that myth but i think that within that like a culture was accidentally created that kind of wants to push out the experiences that don't validate that narrative exactly yeah um, like yeah. oh actually that just hit home Ross, that just you just oh, <laughs> wow <laughs> No, because when I, oh, wow, that is, I need a second, because that was, wow, that was very, like, not just, it wasn't just profound, but it, it really kind of showed me, like, no, this is, this is something that we should think about also, because I have my period, and usually, like, when I was growing up, even now, sometimes I'm like, man, I'm really emotional and I'm really mad and I'm really like, (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I'm really like, I, so I have had some difficulties when my menstrual comes on too. Um, as far as like, um, trigger warning here, this is going to mention some uncomfortableness within the body, uncomfiness with, with periods. Um, (laughs) so like for me, I used to be in an immense pain. Um, like truly, I mean, I'm talking like it would get to the point where I'm like, I don't want to do anything. And I just want to like, at least for the first day or heck, maybe even the whole time, I don't want to do anything because I would feel like my cramps were so intense that Mm -hmm. I would just be like bedridden sometimes. And my mom and I did look into it at one point. And she was like, well, you just need to take some Advil. Like, she didn't dismiss it, but we we looked into it to the point where I remember, like, having a conversation with a doctor at one point, and they were like, do you know what, you know, endometriosis is and all these other things? And I'm like, I don't know none of that. I just know that this hurt. Like, just, (laughs) like, I don't know any of that. I just know that I'm having these symptoms. And 
I know that for me, like, I have had to navigate around, like, I don't usually tell people, like, hey, I won't, I, you know, I don't usually have to say, like, hey, I'm experiencing this, you know, I, I'll just usually say, like, look, I'm just not going. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just not appearing wherever you wanted me to appear because I don't feel <laughs> that's just it. But there is that narrative where, like, like you said, there are a lot of feminist um, people that push the narrative that periods don't affect us, that that we work while having a period and things like that. But there's also this other, you know, this um, other subculture or the sub community where I'm sure that there are women that are like, well, speak for yourself because mine is awful. I have an endometriosis and that's like the my uterine lining shedding a lot more intensely than yours. And, and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's mm-hmm. all these different narratives and I feel like whenever we push signs that say, oh, it doesn't affect us. And like, I don't even remember why, why that sign was there, why, why people were pushing for that. Was it, what was it for? I don't, I know that like, in part, it's a reaction to, um, you know, misogynists saying things like, oh, well, we shouldn't have a, a, a woman president because oh. when she gets her period she'll it's gonna you know, be hormonal act her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and of course smaller examples like that too of just microaggressions around like if somebody's genuinely has a right to be upset about something and someone dismisses it saying like oh yeah. you're just on your period or you're just you know pmsing mm-hmm. so it's it's very much you know it's something that there's no quick way to talk about it it really has oh, to be of course like, not you know, talked out like this, where, you know, we exchange experiences and, you know, oh, yeah. so I think that's what I, that's what I think. Yeah. I love, I love that though, because it, like I said, it just gave me, it, sh- it shed light on something. Like I have a friend who I love her to death and we talk about all these different perspectives and I, and that's why I love her because we can talk about all these different perspectives. However, there's this thing that she has had to teach me <laughs> when it comes to periods and all things relating to women, feminism, and things like that. She has pushed this, not not that this is not a bad thing. Um, it's more like her just illuminating, like, nah, yeah, that's how you was raised. Yeah, that's how you, you did see it, you know? But, like, there's a different side. Look at the other side. Look at the other coin. You know what I mean? Look at the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. And so... Like we had a conversation where we specifically talked about ending the shame around periods and around talking about a, a girl being on her period or or whatever the case. Because when I was mm-hmm. when I got mine, I distinctly remember my mom telling me, "Don't tell anyone that you got your period," and I was like, "But but but why?" I was proud. Okay, I was like, "Hey, this may be kicking my butt right now." but I'm proud that I am now a young woman (laughs) and Mm I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know. In a kid way, I was proud. And I just recall having those like not intense conversations, but like heavy laced conversations where it was like, you don't talk about it. If you do have one. um, And when you do get one, it's not celebrated. It's, it's shamed. Like the cyclical nature of, of making girls feel like, when they have their period, they are A, witches, <laughs> B, complete bitches, <laughs> and 
and cannot be reasonable whatsoever. And it was like, but that's not true. Like you're blaming, you're blaming an emotional reaction on something that, hey, you don't even know if I'm actually going through right now. And B, where's your proof? Again, where's your proof? Because you don't know that I'm actually going through that. But like, like I said, my friend was trying to show me that we're in a we're in a time period where now it's more it's becoming more acceptable for women to talk about their periods and say, look, my period, girl, I'm on. I'm not I'm not going there. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's becoming more acceptable for that. So when we're talking about PMDD, I feel that same care, that same openness needs to be there when we're talking about these different subsets of like disorders and things like that especially centering around our menstrual cycle because it's not the same for everyone one size does not fit all there are people that have pcos and and mm-hmm. that is a whole different level of itself like that is a whole different monster of itself and like i have a friend who teaches on that because it's so i am learning that our cycles mean a lot like the luteal phase, you know, all the all the different phases that we go through within our cycle. They are different for everyone, but they are still powerful in its own way, you know? And so mm-hmm. like I've had to learn and unlearn, really really truly unlearn. First of all, your period is not your period isn't shameful. Like I can't tell you how many times I was like I'm disgusting. Like I don't even want to like People were trying to like care for me, and I was like, "Don't come in here!" Like I'm, I'm like molting. Like don't, like I invested with the idea of even of having one because of the shame that I was taught to carry. And then as I got older and I got into college, I learned, girl, it's natural. I got mine. Like you know, like this is how help. This is how. A community is formed because you're saying, oh, well, we need tampons in the bathroom. We need to be able to fill those things up in the bathroom on campus because everybody has their period at different times. But it would be a lot helpful if there were freaking tampons that were refilled in the bathrooms (laughs) so that women don't have to be spending extra money and missing class, you know, to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, it's crazy that that initiative wasn't even thought of. And that's a common sense reaction. Like if I feel like if society accepted that women had their periods the same way that they accept that, oh, the periods make them hormonal, we would be better off because they say that so naturally, right? That rolls off the tongue. Mm -hmm. But you know what doesn't roll off the tongue? Oh, well, they need feminine products to make sure that they're not as hormonal. <laughs> like if y'all put the two and two together, I'm just saying, maybe we wouldn't be so angry. <laughs> I'm just saying, if the effort was there, if the if the call is there and the response was met, then I don't know. I'm just saying that maybe, just maybe, we wouldn't have a reason to be so damn angry. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Because you constantly Absolutely. like if you're constantly dismissing how I'm feeling and you're constantly constantly dismissing it and basing it on something that occurs monthly for me, why is it that I'm discovering that there are people, 
there are young girls who don't have access to feminine products, feminine hygiene products. And that was shocking to me because I used to buy um, L, the L brand. Um, I don't know if you know them, um, the L brand uh, pads. They basically, every pads that you, every pad that you buy or every like set that you buy from them, they give that same amount back to um, under or girls who don't have any feminine hygiene products. And that was like mind blowing for me when I read that on the package and I did my research and everything because I was like, wait a second, you mean to tell me there's little girls out there that don't have feminine care? Mm -hmm. like, that should be very disheartening and very confusing because I, I just, then what do you do? You know, and especially for those who have really intense cramps or who have PCOS or who have like really fluctuating emotions and fluctuating periods and uh, experiences. I don't even want to say just periods, experiences, because no woman was born the same. No woman was born with the same experiences, you know? So I don't know. It's just, I just want that. I'm off my soapbox now. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> No, that was definitely, I mean, period poverty is a huge, huge That's, thing to talk about. And I had I no idea. You really, yeah, you really hit the nail on the head, I think, talking about, you know, that people, you know, misogynist people will, they'll be fine to make a joke about like, oh, your, you know, your period's causing you to, you know, act this way or that mm -hmm. way or the third. But then when it comes to actually accepting that people menstruate, you it's, can't you know it's they don't compute it and i think that not at all i don't have i don't have the perfect words for it but i think it goes something into like you know they want they want to be able to use this you know this situation to their advantage and in this case that's like tearing down you know women, women. and menstruators and but then on the flip side they could just be actually providing like community care and to me it makes me think back to my theory and i'm sure mm -hmm. lots of other others have theorized this before me mm -hmm. is that what we once called women's hysteria which yeah. was a real it was a real medical condition i think that is pmdd i think amongst, you know, i i was like as you were talking i i immediately every time so this is really bad because i did just say like we're doing a positive talk about periods <laughs> and talking about menstruating but immediately, and this, I actually, no, I take that back. This isn't negative. This isn't any slight on menstruators or people who have periods or anything like that. This is actually very poignant. So if you follow along with my brain for a second. So I immediately thought of the Salem witch trials when I thought about my period. And what I thought was there were women who were deemed witches simply because they were probably experiencing or what they, like you said, the mass hysteria or the hysteria, women's hysteria or whatever. But also they're, they're going through their cycle and they weren't going through it every day, but they're trying to figure out what to do at a time when there isn't any feminine products, you know, at a time when they probably can't process why they are bleeding and so I'm sure that they were like walking around and they're like, okay, all right, these women are batshit crazy. Because <laughs> what, what, 
what is causing them to bleed? Why are they just suddenly magically fleeting? You know what I mean? Um, but I say that to say that it made me think of that because their first thing was, oh my God, they're witches. They need to be burned. They need to, you know, the, and taking it to the very, very like extremist level. And I feel like that could in a way happen in modern times, especially when they continue this, that same narrative. Oh, you're just, you're just on your period. So you're going crazy or, you know what I mean? They just dismiss that. And mm -hmm. I do think like, now that you're talking about the symptoms of PMDD, I definitely think that that was probably what they were experiencing back then because they didn't know how to handle the emotions, the flood of hormones that came with, with their cycle. And can you imagine, well, obviously you can imagine it because you experienced this, but like, I couldn't imagine being back then and having to experience that without any type of care whatsoever. I think about that constantly. It's one of the things that like helps, it helps kind of helps me get through it when mm -hmm. things are rough. Um, and well, mm -hmm. I, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, that I, I think about, you know, that people, you know, people who have the symptoms that I have, who were mm -hmm. often like classified as, you know, being hysterical women, um, they were, you know, institutionalized. They yeah. were, you know, literally, literally medically experimented on and, you know, yeah. here, but sexually assaulted during that. Mm -hmm. And that's not, and not just in terms of, you know, quote unquote hysteria, but yeah. tons of people have had that done to them and it's horrible. It is, uh, but I, and even today, it might not be as obvious. But mm -hmm. we clearly see, you know, in terms of you know how doctors treat people, that there's sexism, there's racism in medical settings, and it really it kills people. It absolutely kills people. It does. Um, it does. I one thousand percent agree with you because I I cannot I cannot stress enough how important it is to become an advocate for yourself, especially as a black person. As a black woman, you have to advocate for yourself 10 times as much, especially within the hospitals, especially within the healthcare world, within public health, because it, it is a, this is sad. Um, I learned this when I was in college, but it is a fact that doctors perceive black women to be more susceptible to pain, more, more receptive to, to handling pain. So when mm -hmm. a black person or a black woman is saying, I'm in pain, they're more likely to not believe her because her pain is just, her pain is just not believed. So that same thing, that same trope, that same narrative, that same fact, that same statistic falls in line for a myriad of things relating to the woman's cycle, relating to whether she's pregnant, relating to everything that it is to be a woman and to experience womanism. And it's sad because it does kill millions of, of women. And it goes unnoticed usually because they have this rule where, yeah, your, your doctor thinks that you're susceptible to pain. So if you're telling that like, there's actual statistics where, like, like I said, I learned this in college, but like, you, you know, just to, just to say this really quick, you know, Serena Williams, 
Mm-hmm. I know. I say tell tell about it, but I know what you're going to say. I think. <laughs> so when she was well, you already know where I'm going with this. When she was pregnant and she was in labor, y'all. I kid you not. This is this is this is this is the truth thing, and this happened in real life. <laughs> she was giving birth, and she kept saying that she needed a CT scan or an MRI or something. She kept saying that she needed assistance. She needed help. And she was adamant, profusely saying, no, no, I need a CT scan, I need a CAT scan. Like, whatever she was requesting, it kept getting like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll get it for you, we'll get it for you, we'll get it for you. They did not give it to her in the timely manner that she needed it, and she could have died. Simply because the pain that she was experiencing was so great that like she just kept advocating for herself she just kept saying no 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 where's the doctor I need this like you know and then her I think her husband had to advocate for her and it still didn't take place and then when it finally got down to the wire they were like oh my god she could you know like she could die because these things aren't being done but the fact that she is a celebrity and when she was giving birth she had to advocate for herself that many times to get the doctors to do something is very disheartening. And it's very frightening for those of us who are probably wanting to have kids because I, that just means, hey, I could be saying, hey, I'm in pain and you're not believing me because I'm black and a woman. What does that have to do with anything? But that is a true experience. And that just goes to show you that if we live in this world where our feelings are often dismissed because of something that we experience monthly and we experience it at different times. What does that mean for those of us who experience PMDD, who experience, um, oh my gosh, PCOS, endometriosis, who who experience all these different level of subcategories within our cycles? What does that mean for us if we're advocating for ourselves? That's that's the question. Because if somebody yeah. of of status can't uh, efficiently advocate for themselves or effectively advocate for themselves because the doctors are negligent, what does that mean for those who are really trying to advocate for themselves and you can't see their disability? And you you can't see it. Just because you can't see something, just because you can't see someone's disability does not discount their disability, does not make their disability invalid. I had someone tell me that my PTSD did not, they didn't constitute it as a disability. And I was like, you don't? And then I went into a little tangent and I said, well, let me tell you how it is. (laughs) Let me me give you the examples of why it is. Because there's different types of PTSD, too. The symptoms are usually the same, but you can experience them on a different level, on a different magnitude. Like, my 10 is not someone else's 10. My 7 is not someone else's 7, you know? That's why there's a pain scale. Mm -hmm. If if everyone's pain was the same, we wouldn't have a scale. And then if those scales are just going to be dismissed, then what is the point in having them anyway? That's that's all I gotta say on that. That's that's my piece, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Do you have any any other 
Any anything else you want to add about like uh, PMDD? Did we touch on everything? I think we we might have. I think we pretty much got to everything. Yeah, I would say that I would just want to leave the audience with a message that you know, mm-hmm. even if you don't deal with this, someone you know might be dealing with it, and they mm-hmm. might not even know it. Know it. Mm-hmm. So to be the best friend that you can be, you know, be aware of this stuff and, you know, take it seriously when someone is bringing up, you know, just anything that they're going through. I think it's a, that's a good rule in general, you know, don't be that person that dismisses them Um, because it is serious. And like, like um, you just articulated um, it's life threatening and not just, and, you know, medical discrimination is one thing, but um, you know, this this particular condition there's a lot of um suicidality associated with it Mm -hmm. so you know the statistics they're you know obviously not happy to hear but um i think that they're really important and it kind of puts it in perspective um so 5.5 percent of people assigned female at birth have pmdd um and of those people 72 percent um, have thoughts of suicide at some time in their lives. 49% have planned to do that. And then 34% have attempted. And I think that that kind of gives, kind of gives the shows exactly how serious and how just deep these feelings are that people experience during this time. Uh Um, and that it really is, you know, so, I mean, there's enough, um, there's enough stigma about, issues associated with women but suicide is its own stigmatized Mm. thing so I just really hope that people will will come away from this feeling like they have the confidence to talk about their own mental health experiences you know be that person that makes it comfortable for others to do that because when one person you know hears someone talking about that and being vulnerable it gives other people the power and strength to do that for themselves I couldn't have said that any better, Roz. I could not have said that any better. That was so beautiful. And, like, I do want to say, we always say, you know, treat yourself with care. Treat others around you with care. But understand that if if you related to this, you're not alone. That's why this podcast is this, to show you that you're not walking through these journeys alone. You're not going through these experiences alone. You're not the only person that is experiencing these things. You're, you're just not. And there's beauty in that. There, there, I hope that that gives you extreme sense of comfort. Even if you're listening from far away and we're not in the same city, like it should give you comfort in knowing that other people are experiencing the same, if not similar experience. Not saying that everyone is exactly the same, but I just related to Roz on several different things and I don't even, I, I, I don't know, but I don't, I, I don't think I have PMDD, but you know what I mean? Like I just related on several different things simply because I listened. I listened and I allowed that space of non-judgment and that that's a beautiful thing. You, you'll see what common ground you'll get when you don't have, projections on uh, on each other i'm just saying the world will be a lot better we'll get to that another mm-hmm. day but 
I really enjoyed this episode. Oh my gosh. I've enjoyed all of them, but this one, I have. So that friend that I was talking about, Queen J, with another episode of Let's Get Uncomfortable with Roz. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, if you want to find more, you can find me on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, if you want to head to the Patreon, I'll have some like behind the scenes content there. Um, and yeah. Thanks for seeing and hearing me. Peace. Love ya.